We started our service by thinking about obedience, the absolute importance of obedience in the life of a believer in Christ, and why we obey. We obey from those right motives. It's a response rather than a means to earning God's favor and salvation. And in that obedience, there is then everyday blessing, as Scripture points out Old and New Testament. How do we begin to obey God? And in particular, as disciples of the Lord Jesus, who seek to go into this week living in the light of all that we have been thinking about the gospel today, focused on the cross, met together around the table, how do we obey Jesus? How can we be good disciples? Well, Jesus sums a lot of it up in that command that He gives in John's gospel. If you want to open your Bibles to John 13 and verse 34, and one of the, the best-known verses of Scripture, Jesus tells His disciples there in John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That sounds good, doesn't it? But what does that actually involve? To use that in phrase, what does that look like in our lives day by day? How do we live that out? And the Apostle Paul fleshes that out. He gives us the answer later on in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Paul says there, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. You will live out that commandment and other commandments like it that Jesus gave to His disciples both then and now. This is an active thing. It's a practical thing. It involves carrying each other's burdens. And I'm able to see demonstration of that. Even in this past week, I've been able to see at first hand how people in this church family in Connor are seeking to do that. In recent days, attending funerals of people belonging to families in our congregation, standing with people, being practical and prayerful in the, the support, the loving support that we seek to give to one another in this congregation, and that's all very good indeed, and to be encouraged. And of course, we can never do this in our own strength. We do this with the help of the Holy Spirit, and it is the Spirit's help that makes all the difference. When we think of the high calling that we're given to love other people in the way that we have been loved by the Lord, when we think about trying to carry the burdens of others when we perhaps feel that we are more than burdened ourselves. That is a difficult thing, but because of the Holy Spirit, it is not impossible. That is a difference. It's difficult, but it is not impossible. And by doing this, we can then show the world, we can show our community the difference that Christ brings to lives. As we seek to live out this calling, tonight and in the coming week and in the coming days, as we would seek to be obedient to Christ, 
because of all that Christ has done for us. We want to follow the example of Christ Himself. Let's consider that example, following on from what we were thinking about on Wednesday night when we were looking at a passage in Matthew together. Let's see what Jesus shows us here at the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 in Mark. So, look at those verses with me again, please. And as I've said, I'll not be putting verses up on the screen tonight. I really encourage you to engage with this passage from your own copy of the Bible or that of a neighbor or, or someone beside you. Well, Jesus shows us a few things at the end of Mark 1, the start of Mark 2. First of all, and it's something that we've been thinking about already in this communion season, first of all, He shows great compassion. We see it here in this healing of the, the man with leprosy. And what provokes this compassion from Jesus is the predicament that the man is in as he approaches him in verse 40. And we've thought about leprosy before. We've looked at other accounts where Jesus meets with people who have leprosy and seeks to bring healing to them. And, and we've thought about the terrible affliction that leprosy was. It's an affliction that we could maybe just summarize and sum up in three words. It was disfiguring. The appearance of people altered because of the impact of leprosy, really horrific scars. But not only that, it was debilitating. Very often, leprosy not only caused sores, it caused numbness in people's feet and in their hands, so that very often, certainly their, their digits, their fingers, and their toes would not work properly and just eroded over time. And it meant that, that lepers could not lift things and do all of the things that we would take for granted. But the other word that sums up leprosy, it was disgraceful. There was a real stigma attached to this disease so that lepers not only lived with the physical consequences, but they lived with the, the stigma and they were ostracized by family and friends and by their community. They were compelled to go and live apart. And there was a spiritual dimension to that as well because they were ceremonially unclean. And the only way that they could be accepted back was if the priest deemed them to be healed and clean once again. And we need to really understand that, that this was not like going to get a prescription or, or heading straight into the pharmacy or the chemist and buying over-the-counter ointment or a tablet that might just improve things. This was much, much worse. And Jesus, as the Son of God, understood more than anyone else the ultimate predicament of a leper like this man here, that he was cut off from other people, that it went against the created order. We were made to be in relationship with one another and in relationship with God, and leprosy cut off relationship with others. And that's why the Lord has the response that He does. In verse 41, simply we're told by Mark, He was filled with 
compassion. And I'm sure you would agree that there is such great hope in those three words. Just think about it, that the one who is Emmanuel, the one who is God with us, the one who most clearly enables us to see the character of God, shows us that He is a God who is love. Because once again, we're confronted with this Bible word, this gospel word, compassion, and we see that Jesus had more than just a, a mild concern or a bit of sympathy. No, He was moved deep within Himself. He was moved, as we thought about on Wednesday night, to the core of His being as He saw the deep need of this man. And isn't that consistent with what we discover about the Lord Jesus all the way through His life and His ministry? It was a short ministry. And yet throughout the Gospels, that same word is used of Jesus, that He had compassionate compassion. Think about His compassionate response. Elsewhere in Mark, in Mark 6 verse 34, with parallels to what we thought about the other night, Jesus saw a, lar a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were lost. And then in Mark chapter 8, verse 2, Jesus feeds those who have come to hear Him speak, who have wanted to hear Jesus' teaching. And He explains to His disciples about the crowd, I have compassion for these people. And there are many other incidents in the Gospels where Jesus is moved by the, the deep needs of people, and He shows them great love. And what we need to see, what we need to be absolutely clear about is that when Jesus does that, He takes it after His Father. Never fall into that mistake. Never fall into that trap of talking about and thinking about the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament as if they're two different gods. And that is something that comes into the life of the church over time. It has always been the case. If you study the history of the church, at a very early stage, there were those who said, well, the Old Testament, why do we need the Old Testament? Let's get rid of it because really we're all about Jesus. But the Old Testament points to and finds its fulfillment in Christ. And think about the nature of God that we we read of throughout the Old Testament. One example, if you would turn with me to Psalm 103, very well-known words in verses 8 to 13. And what are we told about God? And this is slap-bang in the middle of the Old Testament. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord 
has compassion on those who fear him. So it's not the case that God in heaven suddenly decided to turn over a new leaf. I know what I'll do. I'll send Jesus. That's not the case. It's not that Jesus was sent to present a more positive side of God and what he's like. Remember that Jesus is the man God. He is fully God and fully man. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And so, as we seek to be obedient disciples, right at the heart of that is the need for love. And as we love, we not only follow the example of our Savior, we, we, we live in the likeness and the image of our Father. We follow His lead and His example. So that as we think about that verse in John 13, 34, well, there we get that clear command from Jesus, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. There is the example to follow, the one who was filled with compassion, the one who came to serve and not be served. In this passage, we get to see from Jesus great compassion, but alongside that, we also in both these passages get to see great authority. And that's the thing about the Lord Jesus, something that many people imagine about Him, that if He, if he was just a, a well-meaning do-gooder, if He was just a good man, as some people would try and argue, or as many people would simply conclude, if He couldn't actually help this man out, then all of that compassion, all of that good sentiment wouldn't amount to much. And when it comes to us and our great need, our ultimate need, if Jesus has a real concern for us as sinners, as He recognizes our lostness, but if He could make absolutely no difference, then we have absolutely no hope. I think of a time when I was visiting a friend of mine many, many years ago, a friend of mine, Robert, down at his caravan down in County Down, and we were out cycling together, and we got stranded in Donacadee. I can't even remember what happened to one of our bikes, but one of our bikes had a big mechanical problem, and we, we were kind of stuck there. And, and I couldn't do anything to fix a bike, but Robert, he would have been able to. But he didn't have the tools that he needed. And so we went into a hardware shop in Donacadee, and we asked this man if he could help, and he, he said he couldn't. He just couldn't care less. And he was about to close for lunch, and he just sent us on our way. So we decided to get chips instead in the chippy next door, as you do. And the, the woman in the chippy, she wanted to help out. She was concerned. She said, what, what are you doing here um, today? And Robert started to explain, and she said, oh, that's terrible. We'll, we'll have to try and get you some help. She had concern. She was well-meaning, but she was powerless to help us. But she sent us to a friend of hers round in the next street, to a tire place, a, a guy working there, 
And the good thing about him, he had sympathy. He felt sorry for us. And he was also well-placed to help us. He could make a difference. And he got us on our way. Now, think about Jesus as God's Son, as the one who in very nature is God. He is uniquely placed to help people in need because He is both loving enough, He is filled with compassion, and He is powerful enough. He has unique authority beyond anything that we can imagine. So that in the case of the story in chapter 1, he is filled with compassion. But then what is the compassionate and powerful response? Verse 41, be clean. And it's not just a nice sentiment. It's not just a, a kind of statement of hope. I hope you'll be okay. No, it's a command, be clean. And immediately, verse 42, immediately the leprosy left him. No coincidence or fluke. The power of Jesus immediately at work in this man's life. And then we're given an even greater demonstration of Jesus' authority in chapter 2 when the friends bring their paralyzed friend along to see Jesus. And it's interesting that they will stop at nothing. There's a sermon in itself. They will do whatever it takes to bring their friend to Christ. What an example for us. But look at how the story ends, that Jesus proves that He carries the full authority and power of God. Verse 11, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And again, immediate, He got up, He took His mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. The reaction is amazement. Who is this? What has he just done? We've never witnessed something like that before. Great authority. And what does that mean for you in this week that lies ahead? What does that mean for you as a believer in Christ as you face up to the problems of life and the everyday mundane things in life? Well, are you fully trusting Jesus, believing that He is both great enough and good enough to make all the difference in your life and in the lives of those that you care about and have real concern for? <clears throat> As we're called to love one another, and to love those beyond our churches. We are called to carry each other's burdens. We need to help people in all kinds of ways, but ultimately we help them by showing them Christ. Because the final thing that Jesus shows us here in chapter 2 is our greatest need. A number of years ago, I headed on a, an away day with ministers, not in this presbytery, down in Ivey Presbytery. And it was one of those away days that, at Tullymore at the, the Mountain Center there. And we had no idea what we had let ourselves in for. There were all these kinds of challenges. And one of the challenges was this team building thing. And you can imagine all these ministers out in the middle of a forest trying to do this team building. It was a bit rare to tell you the truth. But 
a girl who was our instructor, she came with a rucksack and she emptied it out on the ground. And there were all kinds of things, a stove, a tent, a water, water, a torch. And she said, now you need to prioritize these. What is the thing that is your greatest need? What is it that you would need most if you were stuck out here tonight? And you put the, the most important thing at that end and the least important thing at this end. I can't even remember the order now, but I think we got it pretty much reverse to what she told us was the right answer. But when it came to this moment in Jesus' ministry, many of the people who would have been in that house, in that house absolutely crammed together. And then since then, many who read this story might have thought that Jesus' priorities are all wrong because a man is brought to him in desperate need. His need is physical. It is witnessed by everyone. He can't walk. It has a huge impact on his life. His friends are fully trusting that Jesus can make a difference. They have faith. And in verse 5, we're told that Jesus responds to their faith. But then comes the, the kind of head-pickling part of the story. Here is his response to their faith. Here is his response to this man. Verse 5, son, your sins are forgiven. And many people would step back and say, what? Sorry. Hang on. What did he just say? No, that's not what was meant to be happening here. We brought him along to be healed. But Jesus' compassionate response, his authoritative response was, son, your sins are forgiven. And why does Jesus make this his priority? Simply because Jesus, above all others, knew that forgiveness was this man's greatest need. And we've thought about that earlier today. We've thought about what sin does, the wedge that it puts between God and ourselves, both here and for eternity. That is why forgiveness was this man's greatest need. That is why forgiveness is your greatest need and my greatest need. Have we found it in Christ? So that Jesus loved this man. He wanted what was best for this man. But in actual fact, that was not being able to walk again. It was being made right with God and finding forgiveness. And then to demonstrate that he really had the authority to forgive sins, that authority that resides with God alone, and then out of great love for this man, he restored him so that he was able to walk once again. Jesus shows us our greatest need, forgiveness that is found in Him alone. And what an important thing for us to realize, individually and corporately as a church, as we leave the table behind now and as we walk into this week. So, the question is, will we be do-gooders? Or will we be gospel people? There's a difference. 
And will this place be a do-good club? Or will it be a gospel church? Jesus shows us great compassion. We, we take our lead from him. He is our motivation and our example. We love others as he has loved us. He shows us great authority. We need to, to offer something more to people than just physical help. As much as we need to do that, we need to show them Jesus. And Jesus shows our greatest need, forgiveness. And then you start with God because we're lost without Him. People, we love because He first loved us. Amen.